You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come join our community or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. Kids, y'all are dismissed to Bethel Kids. If there's more donuts, I encourage you to grab one on your way down there. (laughs) Whoever's idea it was to have spunky dunkers today, it's probably Jeff and Tanya. Thank you for that. Man. See you guys. Have fun. Man, looking out today, so good to see you guys here. Um, I've been super reflective uh, this last week, thinking back on a lot of times, a lot of memories, and uh, there's this one memory that came up. I was a freshman at Moody and uh, serving in jam, and uh, we were prepping for the winter retreat. I was so excited to be part of the process, this thing that I've been part of and gotten to receive, and now I'm part of the team, and I'm able to be part of the train, or preparing for that. And I still remember Phil Penner coming up to me and asking me to lead worship that weekend, which might seem like an exciting thing and something I would have been all about, uh, except for the fact I never led worship before like that. It's one thing to play backup guitar like I had done, but this was going to be leading vocally on the microphone, with the guitar, everything there. It's a little bit different. Now at this time, I think, I think only one person had heard me sing. That was my mom when she snuck into the basement (laughs) to hear me sing. And so I was pretty nervous about it. My vocal abilities probably landed somewhere between non-existent and train wreck. Somewhere in there. (laughs) Somewhere in that range there. So Phil knows this when he asks me, but here's the thing. He's not focused on me being a finished product ready to go and do it. He was focused on my ability to be a learner, to teach me, to prepare me, to get me ready for it. So we sat in that corner for hours after Sundays leading up to the retreat, playing, practicing, singing, if you could call it that. And he encouraged me to practice and keep working on it and put in the work. He taught me, uh, and he helped me grow in my ability and my comfort level. So the retreat came, and it went well at points. There was other points. It was bad, and I'm not just saying that. Like, it was bad, bad. The kind of bad that you have to start over the song. That kind of bad. I remember one song, we started singing it, and people did not know what song it was because... The melody did not match the words, did not match what anyone knew, and they're just staring at us. But I remember Phil talking to me that weekend and affirming me and encouraging me to keep learning, keep growing, keep learning. So we came home, started playing on Wednesday nights, came playing with Frank and Dave. Frank and I have joked about this, man. He had to hit the drums so hard to keep me on pace. <laughs> Because I just wanted to speed it up. I was so nervous. He's like, slow down. He's banging the drums. Dave thumping out the bass for me too. 
tons of practice and learning and growing. I can look back today at that process and I can see that I have grown. Sometimes we still have to start over songs, but it's better. There's been progress and there's been growth and I look back at that and I see progression over time. It was a process. I knew I could not stay in the same spot with it. I had to put in time and effort and practice and work to learn to be able to lead in that way. Here's the thing. I didn't start as a finished product there. I had to learn and I had to grow. We've been talking in this series in the book of Luke about following and what it means to follow Jesus. And we've talked about this idea of being a disciple, a learner, a student. We come to God far from a finished product with all sorts of rough edges, all sorts of selfish desires, all sorts of ways that we need to learn and we need to grow. All sorts of ways that we need to not conform to the world around us, but to conform to his word and who he calls us to be is he, of what he requires of a learner, of a follower, of a disciple of him. We shouldn't settle for where we started. We should see ways in our life that we've learned and that we've grown as a disciple, as a learner, and as a follower. And that's what this series has been all about, just trying to look at these passages. We've looked at seven different passages in Luke, and each one of them just looking at it and being like, man, what does it mean to learn? What does it mean to grow in this way? What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to transform in these ways and to not be satisfied with who we were? To not be satisfied with where we were and, and, and to know that we're not a finished product and to let God each day of our life grow us, teach us, change us to be who we're called to be. And here's one thing that we've acknowledged this whole time. For all of us, and, and I've admitted for myself over and over, this bar that we have to set higher too often, I set the bar so low of what it means to be a disciple. I can give my pa myself passes left and right of what it means. But what we've said is we have to raise the bar to what Jesus says, who he calls us to be as a disciple. And some of it we've looked at, it's pretty intense. Like the disciples leaving everything on the shore to follow him, even when it didn't make sense. The disciples instructed to spend time with those who need Jesus, even if they're the deepest of sinners. Disciples are people of mercy and compassion, and we should be marked by that just like the Father. Disciples don't build tents for three, it's for one, and our focus is all him, him alone on the mountaintop. We've talked about disciples loving their enemies. Disciples praying a way that Jesus taught us to do it, a shameless knocking and coming to him over and over and over again. And the whole idea of this is that we would change, that we would know that we're not a finished product, that we would enter no matter how old we are, how long we've come to this church or any other church, that we would approach God and say, I'm a learner. Teach me and grow me and change me into a finished product. And the finished product is conforming to look like his son, Jesus. Everyone is in the process of being discipled. Everyone is in the process of learning. Everyone is in the process of growing. And today we finish our series on this following and growing. And we're going to look at how this is a life commitment. 
This is something we pour all of who we are into. I'm seeing people up here as I'm preaching. It's like, man, it's so good to see you, man. We'll talk later. Pour all of who we are into this for our whole life. So turn your Bibles to Luke 14, and we're going to look at this passage um, together. Let's, let's do this. Let's read through it one time together. Let's just chop it up a little bit and see what God has for us in it. Y'all feel ready to go? Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Susan Wood. All right, let's look at this. Starting in verse (coughs) 25, Luke 14, 25. says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it otherwise? When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, <coughs> therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Starts by talking about great crowds accompanying him. Can you picture it? Just a massive crowd following him where he's at. There's a lot of people who have gathered to follow him around the countryside. A lot of people that are pressing in to see a miracle. A crowd surrounding does not guarantee a group of followers, though. There will be people who fill a church for personal benefit. There will be people who come to church just for the sake of being part of something, part of a community. Maybe people come out of habit or tradition or for appearance purposes and yet still are not following. Here's the thing. Just because these people are following Jesus around doesn't mean that they were following Jesus. They were physically there, but Jesus has a different way of gauging whether or not they're ready to follow him truly. So he puts this invite out to this crowd, this massive group of people who are there. And I love that. I love that for this reason, because it's not for just a select group of people that he's decided to say, okay, y'all are the elite. Only you could follow this intense calling. Only you could really be part of it. He puts it out to a big crowd, whoever wants it. It's not exclusive in that way. It's an open invite to this whole group of people. And as he speaks to the crowd, he gives three requirements of what it means to follow him. Here's the three. Hate those who love you most. Bear your own cross. 
renounce all that you have. Sounds fun, right? I mean, really, like, man, get those sign-up sheets going. What a campaign slogan. You hear it, and it's like, man, that, that, I mean, that, that's pretty intense. That seems pretty involved here. So let's look at the first one here in verse 25. Hate those who love you most. He says, he turns to them and says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his whole life, he cannot be my disciple. To hate the people that are literally everything to me. To hate those who raised you. To hate those that you built your life with. I imagine this as a disconnect for the crowd as they hear it. Right? <coughs> he said, what? Why would we do that? Here's the thing, though. It's actually a bigger disconnect for us than it would have been for them at that time. Because we read it, and we hear it, and we think, man, that seems really contrary to what Jesus said. Right? Like, hasn't he talked about loving our enemies? Hasn't he talked about, like, honoring our father and mother? Like, hasn't he spoken these things? So it feels like a disconnect to use the word hate to associate that with everything else that we know that Jesus said about love. It's a disconnect for us, too, because we think about that word hate with everything that we apply to it in this culture and this society. We say the word hate, and it's a loathing of something to the point of really wanting no association with it, and maybe even just wanting bad things to happen there. To say hate of something is, is feelings of strong, strong negativity towards it. It's reserved for wrath. It's like a word that I don't want my kids using in my house about something. If they were to say, man, I hate someone, it's like, let's sit down and let's talk about that. So what is Jesus doing as he talks about inflicting that on the people that we love most and love us most? Here's the difference. We apply those thoughts of hate to it. But for the first century audience, they would have heard that word in a, in a comparative way. They heard it how Matthew talks about it in his gospel, Matthew 10, 37, when he says to love Jesus more than your father, more than your mother, more than your brother or sister. It's comparative. Like if, like example, like if someone asked me to, to give my thoughts comparatively on Space Jam 1 and Space Jam 2, <laughs> I might say, man, I hate Space Jam 2. Who said amen? Respect. Okay. Like, I mean, I hate Space Jam too. And then I get into all my reasons why. It's comparative. It's light in some ways. Just, to, man, I'm just, I'm just comparing to say, man, I hate it. It's like in comparison to what Space Jam 1 is. Man, Space Jam 2. If you don't know why I would say that, talk to me afterwards. <laughs> or Nick Salmonson. Either one of us will, will talk to you about it. Listen, it's a comparative way. So when the crowd hears this, they hear those relationships that you have, the one who raised you, that you live with, that you depend on, those relationships that consume your day, your life, that revolves around it. What it is is comparatively, Jesus says, that relationship with him is greater than all of those. 
And he does it in a way that is eye-opening and alarming and very comparative to separate those two things out. Your love for God is a priority over father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Like each of those relationships is so core to anything that I would say in my life. They're defined by love and they define part of who I am. You cannot find more intimate relationships in my life outside of that. And he takes those and he says, I got to be more than all of those. A follower's love and commitment for their most treasured relationships does not compare for the love and commitment to following Jesus. If you were to compare them, they don't even come close. And this is not what's said for some followers or the, you know, the all-star followers or the elite followers. This is what he lays out to the crowd and he says, this is just what every disciple does. Talk about raising the bar, right? Like sometimes we could be like, oh man, that person does it or I see that person does it. What if all of us were living in this way? This is just for every disciple. Makes me think of what Jesus said when he talks about the the greatest commandment. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, strength. It's all consuming of all of who we are that is about God. And this is hard for us. We find other things, other people to prioritize, to follow, to commit to in a way that really does make Jesus less? Is it clear from your day to day, your time, your purposes, your priorities, your decisions, all of that, that it's driven by a love for God above anyone and anything else? (coughs) And I read that verse and I start to think of a hunger for God, an all-consuming hunger for God That seems so easy, so easy for the Jesus follower to neglect in 2023. It's so easy. I I, I think sometimes more common to see a complacency within us that can go weeks at a time without spending time in God's word and in his presence and just be okay with that. It's the kind of complacency that makes major decisions in life without even thinking about how does this impact my following of Jesus? It's the kind of lukewarm living that can go a year of your life without being able to look back and see anything that's changed. I think what we often see is a Christianity that picks up Jesus when things get difficult or tough and we're like, Jesus, I just need you to solve it. And then when he does, it's like, okay, cool. Go back to where you came from. Or Christianity that invites Jesus in when it benefits us or is convenient. Or Christianity that asks God to bless us but not to change us. A Christianity that loves Jesus to the extent that we can do for an hour on a Sunday morning. But a love that we don't show during the rest of our week. It's comparative. Take those you love most in your life and see if your love for Jesus exceeds that because that's what every disciple does. 
It's actually comparative. It's not a figure of speech. It's not an exaggeration. This is not for the super followers. This is for every disciple. We're to hate those that we love most. Secondly, we're to bear our own cross. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to bear our own cross? We talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Let's dig into it a little bit. Jesus would soon carry his own cross. And when he did, it was the most sacrificial moment of his life. It was undoubtedly the toughest moment for him to follow the will of God. We know that because he's in the garden and he's praying. And he's like, God, if there's any way that you could take this cup from me, if there's any way, but not my will, but your will be done. It's his most intense moment of sacrifice of what it means to follow God in that moment. It requires sacrifice. And this, Jesus says, is, it's not just for Jesus to do. He says it's for all of his followers. Anyone that would call themselves a disciple of Jesus must also carry our cross. We're not carrying a physical cross to our death. But we are sacrificing in ways that cost all of us. We as followers will choose to walk a road that God asks us to, even when it asks everything of us. Even when it's painful. Even when carrying your cross and the cost that that brings to you is terrifying. Our life pursuit is the will of God, no matter what. Let's carry your cross. He says, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. It's just actually what all learners do. This is just what all disciples do. We usually, we usually want to turn to Jesus when we feel like our world is caving in, but it's much more difficult to turn to Jesus and to walk knowing that it might mean difficulty for us because we're walking that road. Or maybe we have options that we see and we're like, man, this one would be easier, but I know this is what God wants me to do, but this one is easier, but this one, uh, carry your cross in that moment. It will require suffering, hardship, sacrifice as part of his will as you follow. What this speaks to is an all-consuming pursuit of following no matter what and no matter where it leads. I was thinking about this this week. I think this is also difficult within present-day Christianity of what we see. It, it, it just speaks to the opposite of our culture, but it also speaks so much to the opposite of some of the dialogue and narrative that is easy for us as Christ followers to just attach ourselves to. In a world where we can believe the lie that our pursuit is for a life of comfort or a life of pleasure or a life of seeking our dreams and our heart's pursuits. And that actually the more comfortable we get, the better off we are. Or the more comfortable we are, surely that's a sign of God just blessing us because we're so comfortable. And I look at this and I'm like, man, it seems like somehow we can skew this to benefit ourselves. Sometimes a Christianity that skews a faith and following about what we gain and what we benefit from 
or a Christianity that speaks a gospel that only speaks about getting out of hell instead of an all-consuming following of God that requires us to pick up our cross and die to self? Do you see sacrifice within your following? Do you see yourself following Jesus on a road where your prayers might be, man, not my will, but yours be done here? Here's what I love about this. Here's what I love about this. Jesus isn't asking me or you or any of us to go someplace he hasn't gone. It's not like he's like, all right, you want to follow me? I'm going to give you something really hard to do. I think about Hebrews. He's able to sympathize with us. He knows he walked this road. He knows it well. So we get to hear in the passage, I feel like it's halftime. It's a little bit of a halftime. He pulls back a little bit. He just, man, one and two, man. Those are really hard requirements. That's what it means. It's pretty intense. Take a little bit of a breath here. And he starts bringing up how serious it is to really consider. It's like, man, this is really difficult. Difficult one, hate. Difficult two, carry your cross. Now listen, you you all got to think about this. Do you really want to follow in this way? And he gives two examples. One, he, he brings up building a tower. And he's like, man, who would go and go build a tower, go build something without thinking through all the details of what it's going to cost and require you to go build that tower? You want to make sure that you can complete it. You don't want to start something that you don't finish. And he gives a second example. He's like, well, who would go out to war? Without first knowing the army size, and if you can battle against that man, 20,000 versus 10,000, I think we'll send out for a peace treaty on this one. The main words about these two stories is this, count the cost. Look at the decision beforehand. Look at what is involved. Lay out these requirements and really consider, look at them and say this, am I sure that I want to do this? A lot of times when we talk about counting the cost, all we'll say is like, aren't you sure you want to go to heaven? And people are like, hooray, yes. And he's like, man, count the cost. This is a lifetime. Really look at this. Are you sure that you're going to complete this? Will you really carry your cross? Will you really prioritize Jesus above all, even when others aren't, even when it means loss for you, even when you have to sacrifice, even when it will hurt? Count the cost. A number of years back, we took a group of students to Mexico. For the students that are here, we're talking Mexico round two, okay? And we go with Sam and Jenny Hansen, and it was such an awesome week serving God. And our first day, Sam pulls me aside, and he wants to go through our work projects that we're going to be doing this week. And he gets through these different things, clean out the pond and, and, and all these different things, and and then he, then he shares when he's like, okay, so I also have this, this, this wall that we have that is cracked and it's, and it's damaged. So we need, to, we need to dig like a pit there and relieve that so we can mend and repair the wall. And he says, I need some of your best diggers for that. I didn't put that on the application. Who are my best diggers? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I hear that. A few names pop to my mind. People I think will work hard for that. But in my mind, 
I'm picturing what needs to get done. I'm imagining like a three to four foot, maybe little pit that we got to dig to relieve some of this tension. Look at this pit. This is me and Japheth and JB, the Jared Bandy right there. In over our heads in this pit. And it wasn't just us. Man, I'm looking out at others. Yeah, if you experience the pit, you know what I'm talking about. This was a week long of bucketing and digging and rocks and clay and watching out for the pick as it came back. And we're like, oh, this does not even give all justice. You can see the top of the ground up there. We went all the way from there, all the way down during the week. And I was thinking back, like at the end of the week, students rocked it. They, you know, they smashed it all week doing that. And I'm thinking, I had no idea that this is what it required. I'm thinking like a little three or four foot whatever, and we are engulfed. That doesn't even show the full size of it there. I'm imagining if Sam would have told me, like if he would have shown me this picture, I would have been like, oh man. He's like, do you still want to do that? I'd be like, man, I don't know. (laughs) Jesus isn't hiding anything. He's not tricking us. He says, this is what it is. It's going to cost you everything. It's your whole life. And then at halftime of the passage, he says, are you sure you want to do that? To a big crowd of people. You sure? Like count the cost of it. What really strikes me in these two examples is the part that he says about the tower. Not able to finish. I fear too many times as Christ followers, we get to a point and we stop following Maybe we feel like we've changed enough. Maybe we feel like we're good enough. Maybe we feel like we've already received the benefits of forgiveness and grace, and we don't need anything else from God. Maybe we see the road to carry the cross, and we're like, man, no, I don't want it. Maybe we've just found everything else to prioritize that feels good. But at some point, like, man, I'm done building this. And we're a partially finished tower, and we call that the finished product. And Jesus says, no. It's a lifetime of building and growing and changing. That's the finished product. I think that that's what grieves me most maybe in this passage. And in real life is when we think in those moments that we're following and that we're a disciple, but really we've stopped any progress, any change And we haven't finished. We get to a point where it's too hard. It costs too much. It consumes too much. Well, he gives one more requirement of what it means to follow. Look at verse 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. A disciple must renounce all that they have. Just a quick note of observation about the text. You guys know I like to nerd about some of the stuff. It's, the Bible, for lack of better words, is just really cool. The Bible's really cool. Um, check this out. The repetition. Re- we've talked about repetition in the Bible and dialogue and verbs. Really important, especially as we're going through the narrative. Check out the repetition. Verse 26. Cannot be my disciple. 
those words there, cannot be my disciple, after talking about hating those who love you most. Verse 27, those same words, cannot be my disciple, after talking about carrying your cross. And verse 33, those same words, cannot be my disciple, after saying renounce all things. These are the three things that Jesus is laying out as the requirement. Hate those who love you and that you love most. Carry your cross. Renounce all that you have. And they're very intense, but it's like this is core foundational discipleship 101. What does it mean to renounce? To renounce would be to release ownership of something. To release ownership of something. So play it through what we've talked about, discipleship in a life of being a learner. It's your life. It's your purpose. You're changing your actions. All of these things are no longer yours. They belong to the one who you follow. Think about that. Everything that we'd want to hold on to, everything that we want to pursue ourselves, these treasured people and possessions, all these things that we want to, it's like release all of that for the sake of following and letting God change who you are. They all belong to the one that you follow now. So here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean necessarily just to get rid of everything that you own or possess or quit out on the things that are part of your life. It's not like you have to give everything physically away. It means everything of who you are is now only for him. It's a pretty powerful thing here. They're communicating right now. (laughs) That one's like, I know, right? It seems a little long-winded. This one's like, dad, stop. (laughs) He's like, I think they got it. Let's go. Everything that we do, renounce it, give it to him for his name, for his glory, about him, for all that. So here's the thing. And I love talking to students about this through the years. Because you get a a student or, or someone who's really into sports, and it's like, listen, he's not telling you to quit the team to follow him. He's saying be on that team and do it with mission and purpose for God, for God, as his follower. That's cool. He's not telling you to quit your job and be a missionary or a pastor or full-time ministry. He's like, in that job as a firefighter, as a police officer, in the union, release these things to him. Like, do that for him. It's about him. It's for his name. It's for his glory. As you do that, renouncing it doesn't mean stopping it and getting rid of it. It just means giving it to him. So we have to think about that. Like, what would it mean to renounce the way that you can grab your own life, your own plans, your own desires? The reflex that I have to make my life about me and my name and what feels good and what's comfortable for me and what I want to do and renounce that to him. Renounce the way that we have a tendency of just wanting to teach ourselves all these things that will make other people marvel at us instead of teaching ourselves the things that make us better followers of him and marvel at who God is. To renounce the things that don't look like Jesus. To renounce every earthly thing that would maybe get in the way of our following of Jesus. Renounce in a way that rids ourselves of ourselves and fills ourselves with Jesus. 
renounce, remove ownership of. As you follow each and every day of your life, as you renounce those things, what it's going to do is it's going to change you. The result is letting God into those places and change you as you release ownership as a disciple and you're just learning. You're like, all right, God, teach me in this too. Help me to follow well in this too. This isn't about me. This is about you and what you want to do here and changing you more towards that finished product. It's intense, right? Can we just acknowledge that this is intense, right? But I also want us to acknowledge the goodness of it. Don't remove from this passage Paul's words in Philippians when he says, man, I'm counting everything that I lost. Man, that's rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing my Christ. We can look at this and it is intense. But don't remove it from the goodness of what we know of what this is. Don't remove it from the stories of generations after generations of people who have gone before us who have said it's worth it. Don't remove it from the example. I've been so reflective thinking about all of our senior citizens who were up here years ago. Remember that? And they sang, I think it was that song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And you're like, they know something that I don't. As they're up here in, in their senior years, you look at that and you're like, they're singing this from a depth of understanding. It's sweet to trust in Jesus and worth it. It is worth it. Man, I, I've had a front row seat to watch this for years. Front row seat with our students to watch them make these decisions. The retreats, the summer trips, the small groups, the coffee talks at Portage Grounds or any other coffee shop in the city that we would venture to, the bonfire talks, seeing our students count the cost, looking at what it means to follow And stepping into that, knowing it wasn't them who was going to change them. It was God who was going to change them. To see students renounce their life to follow and watching God change them and seeing that it's worth it. What a privilege to see that and an honor to see that over and over the testimonies of that. But here's what I want to say as we close here. May that be said of us. Not some of us. Not the ones that maybe, you know, we would expect it, that they would do that, that they would go all in, maybe intense like that. Maybe said of all of us that it's not extreme. Or for the most committed, or for those in leadership, for those in full-time ministry, maybe said of us that we acknowledge that discipleship is the standard laid out by Jesus, that it requires all of ourselves. May we live with this following. May we live this following out with all of who we are. And as we do, bring others with us and help them become learners. We complicate that. It's like, 
man, to make disciples, like, let me just show you the God that I know. Let me just show you who he is. I just, I just want you to learn and understand because I care about this and I know what it means to you. May we pursue in this way. May we bring others with us to follow Jesus and to show them who we love and who we know. And all of us pursue together the following, the call according to Jesus. All of our lives, all for him, for his glory. Let's pray. God, only you can do that. ask that you would convict right now. Show us by your spirit. Help us right now to apply this and what it looks like to apply it. God, we love you. What an honor it is to follow you. Thank you for the opportunity. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.